Welcome to Planet Geo, the podcast where we talk about our amazing planet, how it works, and why it matters to you. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Jesse? Oh, man, I'm doing really well. I'm excited for yeah, today's excited. episode, to be honest with you. But before we get to that, let's do some brief introductions. You are Chris Bullheis, a nationally recognized earth science teacher from the great state of Michigan. And you are Jesse Rymink, one of my former students, now a professor of geoscience at Penn State. And this is Planet Geo, a podcast where we talk about amazing aspects of our planet and why it matters to our everyday lives. So we're talking about Grand Teton National Park. So, hey, Jess, why are the Tetons special to you? What do they mean to you? Yeah, it's a really good question. I would say that I've been there several times and mostly as a little kid though. And then I just flew back last summer actually and spent uh, a week with you and your students out there. Uh, and I've had, that was the first time I'd been to the Tetons in a long time. But coming from Michigan where it's really flat, I think the Tetons are special to me because they really just represent the idea of the mountains. You know, They are that I- ideal to me. Uh, that's what I think of when I think of the mountains. Yeah. I mean, what what about you? What's special uh, about the Tetons huh. for you? Yeah, that's a hard question to to narrow down. Um, you know, but the first time I went to the Tetons, I was six years old. Oh man! Yeah, my mom and dad took us there, and you know, driving to to the Tetons from Michigan, um, they're right away <laughs> as a six year old. I recognized that these are special. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter where you approach the Tetons from; you're just smacked. Uh, with this stunning view, there's what I love about them. There's really no introduction to the Teton. You come around a bend, and bam, there yeah. they are. Uh, and <laughs> That's I love totally that. True. You know, oh yeah, you totally don't true. get that. And so I just, I never get tired of that. I, I just, I know when I'm going to get the view, and I'm excited for it every single time, and it never lets me down. Yeah, you know, I, um, I, the last summer when I flew in to meet you and your students there, it's the first time I'd ever flown into Jackson Hole. And my goodness, is that a stunning last, yeah. you know, half hour of the flight. I wouldn't want to be a pilot landing in this valley, but it is unbelievable. I think we approached from yeah. the north and landed. So, you know, I was sitting on the perfect side of the plane. The Grand Tetons are out to my right. Oh, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. We kind of banked in. It's They just smack you in the face. They're so it impressive. Does. Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've been going there, like I said, my first time was when I was six, but then we went back every summer for, you know, for a few days. I've been going ever since then. And then, you know, I got married to Jenny in 1994 and we honeymooned there. We spent a week in the Tetons. Oh and, man, that's and now, beautiful. What, time, is, year, what time of year was that? Uh, it was actually right in the middle of summer, oh, late beautiful. July, early August is when we were there. Beautiful. I mean, it wasn't even a question like, where do you want to go for your honeymoon? Let's, hey, well, let's go to the Tetons. And, you know, now I take uh, 26 students there every summer to learn and to hike. Yeah. So you guys have hiked like all over. I mean, you, how many, how many of the peaks have you bagged? I've done, thinking back now. So Buck Mountain, Static Peak, the South, the Middle. Yeah. We haven't done the Grand. Um, Why is that? Why not the Grand? Yeah, I think the, so the grand, you know, my wife, she really doesn't like exposure too much. Ah. <laughs> and uh, there's a fair amount of exposure, no matter what direction you, you try to tackle the grand. Get, getting on some knife edges, huh? On the way yeah, up there. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Maybe you and I someday will just decide we're going to do the grand. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. Put it on the bucket list. Let's go all do right. it. Hell yeah. You got it. 
<laughs> okay, well, let's get into it here. But before we do, we want you all to have a visual image of the Grand Teton National Park in mind. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, stop this podcast quick and click on a link that we put in the episode description. Uh, now, now that you got that link open, when you're looking at that photo, you are seeing geoscience features that represent about 2.8 billion years. That's three fifths of Earth history just in that one photo. So it's a spectacular photo, a beautiful mountain range, and it contains a spectacular amount of geoscience information in it. And we're going to go through that, starting with how the rocks formed. Let's talk about like the rocks that these mountains are made of. Yeah, but yeah, let's do it. So at the roots of the of the Tetons are what's called these metamorphic gneisses. And gneiss is spelled G-N-E-I-S-S. That's how us geologists, you know, use the term gneiss. These are really old rocks, 2.7, 3 billion year old rocks. Very typical, very similar to the rocks I study up in Northern Canada. I've never looked, you know, really studied the ones in, in the Tetons. I'd love to though. Um, but they kind of formed the base of all this stuff. They're kind of down deep in the middle. And I was really struck by this when we were hiking last summer, we were doing, um, I forget what hike it was, Chris, which, which hike was the long one we did paintbrush divide. Is that right? No, it wasn't or Avalanche Peak, Divide. Maybe, it was or... Lake Solitude that we were doing. Oh, yeah, that's the one. Cascade Canyon, yeah. That's the one. Yeah, so <laughs> the fact that you got to remember this because it's hilarious. Um, <laughs> I, I took I took the kids to this map. They have this three-dimensional map, and um, it's it's awesome. And I was pointing out where we're going to go and all that. And Jenny, my wife. Oh, yeah, down by, the, <laughs> down by the trailhead, right? This three-dimensional <laughs> map. Right, right. So I'm po pointing out where we're going to go, and Jenny couldn't see, so she squeezed this up in front, and she's cutting in front of you. She cuts in front of you, that which idiot. pissed you off. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, while she was paying attention to me, pointing out what was going on, you stuffed a big rock in her backpack. Must have weighed about 10 pounds. She had no idea. Uh, yeah, and so great. we... Yeah, I got I got one of your big uh, you know, farm boy students to uh, help me put some rocks in her backpack. Oh, man, we loaded them up. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we get to the lake and us three are sitting around eating lunch. We start digging into our backpacks to get lunch and she's rooting uh, through it. And she's like, what the heck is going on? I got these big rocks. <laughs> so she hauled them all the way up to the and, top. You know, oh man, she earned her beer that night because she hauled like 20 pounds of rocks. And they were she, not pretty rocks. These were ugly rocks too. These were ugly uh, ass rocks. No, no, they were ugly. They were leverite, and but it couldn't have happened to a better person. She oh, yeah. deserved everything oh, that she cared. She up. totally deserved it. Oh man, <laughs> she cut right in front of me up front. That pissed me off. So you know, I had to had to take a, had to she take a, take it out on her a little bit. <laughs> anyway, so on the way down, you know, I, I think I was in the back of the pack. You know, students were a bunch of students were up front. I was just kind of looking around, you know, thinking and. The sun was setting this beautiful, we had just had a little thunder shower pass over. We had the sun was lighting up the north face of that valley. And the rocks are so complicated. They're really folded. They're, they're, there's, they look like toothpaste. There's just squished mm -hmm. toothpaste. And I was really struck by, that's what a metamorphic nice is. This thing that looks like it's just been twisted and mangled. You know, it's the steel in a car yes. after a car wreck. Yeah. And most of the continental crust looks like that right? That is just what makes up most of what's under our feet at depth. And I was just really struck by that because it's really pretty stuff. I find it scientifically extremely interesting. I'm just saying that I th nice is one of the prettiest rocks that, that exists in my opinion. Totally. I, I'd totally. I, I can't mean, have enough of it in my yard. You know, yeah, people use it for countertops nice. all the time. It's beautiful stuff. It's got these white yeah. bands that are kind of wrapped around darker bands. Oh, it's beautiful. 
it's scientifically incredibly interesting as well. But we're talking about this from the standpoint, like we're going to work in order. Okay. So we're talking about the oldest rocks that exist in the park. It's this metamorphic gneiss. It's highly messed up, contorted, subjected to massive amounts of heat and pressure. Where did this rock form, Jesse? Yeah, so it's a bit of an open question. Um, These rocks are around 2.7 billion years old. And some people believe that these rocks were formed when plate tectonics really started on Earth. So a lot of people think that these rocks formed in a subduction zone. So something similar to the west coast of the United States right now. Think of Mount St. Helens or think of Yosemite National Park. Or think of Italy, a modern subduction zone going on there. But these rocks have a really tortured life. They've, they're really deformed. They're metamorphosed many times, subjected to high pressures and high temperatures. So it's not entirely clear where they formed and how they formed. And, and this is a part of active research for me personally. So um, I could go on and on and on for hours about it, but I won't, I won't belabor that. <laughs> So one of the interesting things about the nice, and I want you to talk about this because you're the you're the meta, you're the nice guy, okay? <laughs> is a lot of this stuff has garnets in it or magnetite crystals in it that have like these. They look like eyes. Um, you have these white halos that surround these dark colored garnets and magnetite crystals. What, what's going on with that? Oh, yeah. So you can often see these things, right? So garnets are like a little deep red, kind of ruby, ruby red color, even yeah, darker gorgeous. than that. Um, and then magnetites are going to be these really dark, really dark crystals that um, you can sometimes see. And they'll have these little light colored rims around them. And really what this is, is this is like metamorphism in, in action. This is a rock being turned into a different type of rock. This is crystals forming under high pressure, high temperature, where the elements can move around within the rock, even though it's not melted. So this is solid yeah, state. Yeah, they become very soft, right? Yeah, they become like super hot soft. hot plastic. Hot plastic. That's the perfect analogy. It's hot plastic. And when you have that, elements, individual atoms, can move around in the crystal structure more freely, more rapidly. And so what happens is when you start to form a a garnet, it basically pulls, garnet has a lot of iron, has a lot of magnesium in it, and it basically pulls iron and magnesium from all the little mineral grains around it. So you kind of deplete the area around that of iron and magnesium. Which are dark colored minerals, right? So this makes sense then. So you have these white halos around these dark crystals. When these things were forming, they were basically stealing those dark colored constituents and using it to grow the magnetite and garnet, right? Exactly, exactly. And one of the best examples of this is is a you know a little camping trip that we went on like a, a decade yeah. ago, probably to Gore Mountain up in upstate New York, where with these huge garnets. I mean, they're like softball sized garnets with these massive depletion halos around the edges. They're beautiful. Oh, do you remember that? That was a great we were, trip. I, we were giddy with excitement. Oh yeah. Um, Oh my God. Young and dumb and extremely excited to see some big garnets and some nice. Yeah, but they were as big as a baby's head, these things. Yeah, we sh- we showed up and the owner. I mean, the owner was just like, "Oh yeah, come on down to the pit." You know where they're. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're court. We they're thought like, we were gonna get yelled at. So yeah, bad. yeah, we 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 pulled up. We're like, "Oh, we're gonna get kicked <laughs> out of here." He's like, "Oh yeah, come down to the pit." I mean, they're mining this <laughs> stuff. They're like sectioning it for you know amazing countertops, like some of the best countertops uh-huh. I've ever seen. Well, so all right, the, this is funny because when you guys got out, I was off somewhere else, and the owner comes ripping up in his. Uh, 
Chrysler 300. Yeah. And we think, oh, this is not going to end well. We're yeah. going to get yelled yeah. at. And you, you, you right away call me. Hey, Mr. Bullheis, Mr. Bullheis, yeah. um, can you come <laughs> over here and, t- and talk? <laughs> can, you, can you be yeah. in charge over here, please? Piece of work. Yeah, throw me right into the bus. That's right. It worked out, though. That was good stuff. So anyway, it's the same process, right? It's the same thing. There's depletion halos. To be honest, Chris, I don't really remember seeing these. Are there good places to see these depletion halos, certain hikes that you can see them at? Yeah, you can see this metamorphic gneiss, and it's kind of hit and miss where you're going to see these halos, but this gneiss is all over the place up, up in Paintbrush Canyon. Going up over to, uh, you know, if you can go up over Paintbrush Divide and then back down the backside to to Lake Solitude. Death Canyon is another really popular hike in the park. Death Canyon, and you take that up and you can take an offshoot up to Static Peak. These rocks in those three really popular places in the park are really abundant and good places to see these halos and so on. So if you're going, if you're planning a trip to, to Grand Teton National Park, go to those places. You can marvel at some really ancient rocks, beautiful yeah. rocks. Yeah, for sure. All right. So Jess, let's move on. Yeah. Let's, what's the next step in our uh, geologic history here? Well, you know, so we, in geology, we always have to work from the beginning to the, to the end, right? We have to work yep. from the oldest to the youngest. And so we talked about this metamorphic gneiss. Um, and then following that up is this much lighter colored granite. It's stark contrast to the dark grays and almost black and browns of the metamorphic gneiss. And it's interesting too that some of this granite is is a rock that we call pegmatite, which means it's really, really coarse grained. The minerals are huge. Um, and so yeah, it gets many, its own like textural term. Many of you listening will probably have uh, countertops made of this stuff as well. Yes. If you have big white crystals, big pink yep. crystals in your countertop, it's a pegmatite. Yeah. And, and so in these, this granite, you can see really in the central high peaks, like the Grand and the Middle Teton, that's where this rock really shows up in abundance, the highest peaks in the central part of the range. Um, and the, so this rock is about 2.5 billion years old. And then, then you get to another really important rock that, that is prominent and a lot of people you know, pull off alongside the road and take pictures of this. Cause it's just, it, it's one of these like obvious features that stands up and smacks you in the face, this really black rock that just cuts right through Mount Moran, which is on the Northern part of the range. So Mount Moran is the one that kind of has the flatter, the flatter peak. It's a little bit blockier shaped, right? And it has right. this big yeah. black stripe running through it, vert- kind of vertically running through it. Yeah, and it's really kind of cool because it gives perspective, I think, that that black rock that's cutting through there is about 150 feet thick. And when you're standing there, you know, (laughs) looking at the east face of Mount Moran, it it just doesn't look like it's 150 feet thick. And it's just a testament to the sheer magnitude. Yeah, it's a little pencil stripe that somebody's put on there, but... Yeah, yeah, it's ma- yeah. it's massive. So the, I mean right. that that the age of that thing that's actually pretty young. You know that's about eight hundred million years old, quote unquote young yep. relative yep. to other stuff. It's about eight hundred million years old. And actually, this is an interesting thing. One of my PhD supervisors dated a whole bunch of samples from some of this stuff. And this is a huge event. This is a huge. There's loads of these mafic dikes, these black veins, all the way up to the Yukon Territory in Canada. Um, and this is an event that was formed with some magmatism that was related to 
continental breakup. So, so when North America broke apart from Australia in the chi- in China, when the Pacific Ocean kind of started to form, we had a lot of magma that was pushing up. And this little stripe on Mount Moran is related to that kind of event. So it's really an impressive piece to the history of our continent right there. Yeah, it is. That's really cool. Um, and you yeah. know, the other thing too, I want to real quick point it out. I've climbed the middle Teton a few times and uh, going up to Garnet Canyon, which is right at the base of the middle Teton. There's a much smaller um, black dike that cuts through right through the middle of the middle Teton. And it goes all again, all the way through to the other side too. Just uh, these, they're all over the place in the Tetons. Those are, I think are just probably the two most famous. Eventually, this granite, the these black dikes, and the metamorphic gneiss were all exposed at the surface of the earth, right? Yeah, that's right. Exactly. You know, they, so they're exposed at the surface of the earth. And, and we know this because this is a, the next part of the story. There, uh, when this stuff eventually got exposed at the surface, the, the erosion took this straight down to sea level. And, and so, you know, I want you... I want you to picture what this looks like at the time where we're at in this story. It it doesn't even remotely resemble what the Tetons look like today. It to me and Jesse, you correct me if I'm wrong, because you've spent more time there, but this is more like the central part of Canada where, or the Hudson Bay, for instance, Yep. Where you have this, you know, the Canadian shield with these super old rocks exposed at the surface, but the Hudson Bay is dropping off sedimentary rocks on top of them. That's right. That's right. I mean, you know, these are these are like, you know, the the sand on the beach, you know, there's rock underneath your feet. There's actually continent underneath your feet, but there's sand on top of it. And there's a bunch of sediment being deposited right on top of it, too. Right. So we had this immense period of time where this area was either just above sea level, just below sea level, at sea level, and sedimentary rocks were being deposited. In fact, the oldest sedimentary rock in the park is called the Flathead Sandstone. And it is that sandstone, that kind of brown, light brown sandstone that you see on top of Mount Moran. Hmm. Right on top of that black uh, igneous rock that cuts across Mount Moran to back up and just summarize real quick is that it was a long time where we had this sea depositing sedimentary rocks. And it's a, it's an impressive amount of sedimentary. Rock. We're talking thousands of feet. So yeah, that's where we're at, right? That's, that's right. where we are in our story right now is we have this massive accumulation of sedimentary rocks from a sea that was there for a long period of time. And so, but then, you know, okay, we're kind of done with the sort of rock formation of part of the story, but how do we get to the mountains? We got to get to the mountains at some point, right? Yeah, let's do it. And one important thing to note is that they're really young, aren't they? I mean, yeah, they are. But most they- of the Rocky Mountains, as we know them, kind of became mountains. They got pushed up about 50 million years ago or even older than that. The Tetons, however, they, they went through that period as well, but. The Tetons, as we see them today, are much, much younger. They kind of started around 15 million years ago, 13 million years ago, and they're still continuing to be uplifted. So they're really active. And this is a a feature that is not common in the Western U.S. It's kind of... So the interesting thing about this, Jesse, is that because the Tetons are so young, they're engaged in this classic struggle in the geoscience world. There are two forces, forces that lift things up and forces that wear things down. And 
you know, the force that lifts things up is related to tectonics. We've talked about that in earlier episodes. And then you have the force that wears things down, which is weathering and erosion. And right now the Tetons are actively rising and yet erosion is relentlessly grinding them down. And when the Tetons stop rising, the powers of weathering and erosion will take over. You know, I mean, think about this a second. You know, we said the Rocky Mountains are much older. Most of the Rocky Mountains are much older. The forces that lift thing, them up is done. That event is not going on anymore. So the only thing that's happening to them, well, they're being affected by weathering and erosion predominantly. That's right. So they're getting knocked down. Slowly getting but surely knocked getting knocked yeah. down, right? I just, the Tetons, they're a restless mountain. Yeah. The Tetons are not... They're not formed by volcanic mechanisms or anything like that. These mountains are formed by seismic disaster. Yeah. You know? No, that's, that's a great point. I mean, the reason that they are so spectacular and the reason they're more stunning than other parts of the Rocky Mountains is that they're the front line, really, of this battle, this uplift versus weathering and erosion, knocking down battle. It's a totally dynamic place, and it's a place that you can see these two forces in action, yeah. basically. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I've witnessed this many times in the backcountry, and there are certain canyons where it just seems to happen more often than in other places in the park. But when you hear rockfall coming off the, some of these major peaks and you're in the backcountry, it always catches me off guard. The sound, the <laughs> sight, it's just, it's so amazing. You have these, yeah. you know, tons and tons of rocks just break loose and come crashing down the valleys and they'll slam into other boulders that have already made their journey down and and they just they explode when they hit each other it's just an impressive sound so what's the sight. what's what's the closest call you've ever been in have you ever been close to one of these rock slides or rock falls um not really in the tetons and mount shasta in california you know somewhat close because okay. the, the way up in there is a, it's a shoot and it's like a bowling alley, you know, there's nowhere to go. Um, <laughs> right. but in the, in the Tetons, no, I haven't really been close to anything. It's just the, it goes back to again, how restless these mountains are. Yeah, that's right. And all this restlessness really started when the Rocky mountains started to form. That's about 60 million years ago or so. And they started to form because a subduction zone was going on on the west coast of North America. This is the same subduction zone that makes the Cascade Mountains now. Um, and this subduction kind of compressed things a little bit. And it started to lift up the Rocky Mountains and the interior of the continent. And then that uplift stopped. And we stepped forward in time to get Looked to the modern. nothing like they do today, though. Yeah, that's right. And it, exactly. They didn't look anything like that. And then we stepped forward in time to get to what the modern representation of the Tetons to what we see today. Yeah. So the Rocky Mountains, that whole event, which was from 50 to 60 million years ago, uh, that was that was compression. That was a compressional event. And it's kind of like um, what happens if you take a, one of those paper fans that you probably made in elementary school or, or like an accordion that you squeeze together, right? That's the compression that you get. Right. And then, you know, 15 million years ago, um, this, this switched to a tension, which is a, a pulling apart kind of event. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. if well, you take look that. Let's focus on that. I mean, tension, the word tension, we often think of it, you know, with like personality tension or something. But what, when we're talking about tension, it's actually pulling apart or in right. a way it's because, pulling well, apart. Right? Yeah. The way I, the way I think of it is if I, if I have one end of a rope and you have another, and I say, Jesse, put tension on this rope. 
and yeah. you know what to do. And that's if I right. say put more tension on it, you're going to pull harder on that rope. Right. And that's what's going on here. But it's like this. If you take that fan, that, that paper fan, and set it down on a table, then it just simply relaxes, right? So when this compression event from the Rockies is done, that force is over with. Now these, these compressed, folded, and contorted rocks are going to begin to relax, Right. So this tension, you know, we sort of smash things together. Everything gets really thick. Then you relax it and some parts of the crust drop down more. So you kind of create these mountain ranges because some pieces are dropping down more than others in a way. Right. 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 Yep. So that's one thing that's going on. And then, of course, we have the Yellowstone hotspot also that's associated with this whole thing, the timing of which cannot be ignored. That's right. So So revisit episode three to hear more about the Yellowstone hotspot. But the Yellowstone hotspot also impacts the Grand Teton National Park in a really kind of dramatic way. Yeah, because, you know, the Tetons really didn't kick into high gear in terms of, you know, the amount of uplift that's going on until, you know really ramping up about 2 million years ago. And there's a couple of reasons for this. One, you have the tension of this accordion, if you will. Two, you have the Yellowstone hotspot that is very nearby right now because the Yellowstone hotspot has moved for the, you know, the previous 15 million years. And now it's just north of where the Tetons are today. And then three, and this is really important, faults formed when the Rocky Mountains were actively rising and all that rock was thrown into this major folds and faults and so on. You know, faults are where rock is breaking. Folds are where we're bending rock. Faults, a lot of people can, you know, think of the San Andreas Fault. There's just like kind of lying in the ground, right? But it's actually where rock is breaking. And it's a really dramatic event when rocks break. Well, this was a major fault that happened and it, it forms then a pre-existing weakness, and so if you take the, the pre-existing weakness and combine it then with the tension that's now going on due to the relaxing of the rocks and the Yellowstone hotspot, where does it break? It breaks where it was already broken. That's right. It, it's kind of the opposite of, you know, when you break your, your bones, if you break your bone, it usually heals back strongly, but rocks are the opposite. If you break it somewhere, it's probably going to break there again. If you put either the same stress or a different type of stress on that joint, it's going to break at that same location. So we're reactivating these faults. This is resulting in this spectacular rise of the Tetons. Um, and, and you know, if you're, if you do any, uh, even a day hike in the Tetons, you're kind of walking basically on the fault surface. So you're walking on where this rock face broke. And I, re- I remember, you know, when I was on your, your summer science trip and I think it was 2004, mm-hmm. we did this hike, right? We did the, uh, Salt Lake solitude hike. No, it was amphitheater Lake. We did amphitheater, oh, it was amphitheater Lake. Lake. Okay. Yep. We did amphitheater, amphitheater Lake. And you know, the way back down is just kind of switch. Well, the way up is switch backing up, but on the way back down, you can kind of focus a little bit more because it's easier, but you're kind of switch backing down this beautiful mountain face. Right. And that's the that's effectively the the former fault mm-hmm. it is. of yep. the Grand Tetons. Yep. You remember this? You remember this hike? I, mean, I we do. Were, I remember it really well, actually. So, you know, all we did, you and I walked together. The rest of the group was ahead of us. And yeah. um, you, by the just time a couple, we had Just walked, a couple geology nerds, you know, you know <laughs> think, thinking about rocks the whole oblivious time. Oblivious <laughs> to everything else going on that, around that's us. That's right. That's right. Oh, beautiful butterflies. But who cares? <laughs> Whatever. Let's look at the rocks. <laughs> oh, a bear could have walked right across the trail. We would not have cared. Uh, uh, we wouldn't have right. noticed. 
That's right. So yeah, we were walking on the way down and um, all you did was, well, by the time we'd gotten down, you pieced together the entire geologic story as we're laying it out right now uh, in terms of how the Tetons formed. And all I did to you was just ask you questions. You know, we you have to look <laughs> at the rocks. Okay, well, yeah. okay, well, you what what groups of rocks do we see, right? Well, we see four groups of rocks. We see the gneiss, we see the granite, we see these black dikes cutting across, and then we see these sedimentary rocks. Those are the four groups of rocks. Now we got to put them in order. Yeah. You know, okay, well, what came first, second, third, fourth, and so on. And then what else happened then? Now that we have the rocks in order, what else must have happened to get us to what the Tetons look like today? And by, yeah, it was, it was amazing. I was actually, I'm going to give you a compliment. Uh, oh, um, no. All right. Let me get prepared for it. Let me, let me get emotionally ready yeah. for a compliment. <laughs> you, I mean, it was impressive that by the time I'd never had a student that was able to see geology the way you do. Well, yeah. um, you were able to piece it together. Well, you know, I, I really appreciate that. that. That means a lot coming from you. Um, but I'd also never had a teacher who was willing to put up with these annoying questions from a 17 year old for three hours on a hike. Um, you know, I, I learned a ton on that trip and really that was that hike in particular. I always remember it as a really a transformational event, uh, in my life in the sense of you showed me how, cool it is to be able to go on a hike for like three hours, look at the rocks around you and come to this understanding of what that piece of the earth went through for the past, you know, 3 billion years. I mean, it's an astonishing yeah. thing to be able to do. It is. And it's very difficult. It, the grandeur of it all is, is really hard to wrap your mind around. Let's go back to the picture that we put in. When you're sitting there looking at that Grand Teton, the Grand Teton mountain range, you are looking at the face of this fault. And the way to think about this is really to think about many of you like sat in restaurants or something and you see like the double sided hinge doors in a restaurant uh, kitchen, like going into the kitchen from the restaurant. They've usually got these like double hinge swinging doors. If two people are on opposite sides of that door on the right side, you know, you got somebody coming out, carrying food, somebody going in, carrying dishes. Those doors are hinging in opposite directions. That's basically what's going on here. As you, as this tension, as you pull apart the crust, one part of the crust is swinging down and it's swinging, opening down into the the earth. And another and that's part is Jackson kind of Hole. So when this happens, Jackson Hole hinges and swings down toward the mountains. At the same time, the east face of the Tetons is thrust upward and back towards the west. So they're they're swinging in opposite directions, which is why you know Jackson Hole is called Jackson Hole because every time there's a seismic disaster in the area, Jackson sinks more, and the right. Tetons are instant at simultaneously thrust upward. That's right. So if you're trying to picture this, think of it: you're looking at a map. North is up. Jackson Hole is swinging down. The hinges to the right, and this is your kitchen door. You know, the, the hinges, hinges swinging down, the Tetons on the left side are swinging up and out towards you, which is up on this, in this view. So this is happening like at a fairly rapid rate in the Tetons right now, so that there's a, a fault zone where the rocks are actually breaking. And in the last 15,000 years, since the last ice age, it's, it's changed about 60 feet. So that's like four feet per 1,000 years, which is geologically it doesn't sound very much to us, but geologically, that's pretty rapid. And this is capable of knocking off, you know, 
pretty significant displacement in one of these seismic disasters. I mean, you can have as much, you can have more than 20 feet of displacement in one event. Can you imagine, you know, being in the Tetons, in the backcountry, or on a, on a cliff face or something when the seismic disaster breaks and, and, you know, the Tetons are shoved up 20 feet relative to Jackson hole that just sank. Um, Oh, wow. it'd be, it'd be, it'd be a terrifying, it'd be both awesome and terrifying at the same time. But if yeah, we look under, ja- under Jackson hole, there's a load of sediments. I mean, there's thousands of feet of sediments because this hinged door has gone down for a long time and it's gone down a quite a ways. Right? So look, that flathead sandstone is 5,000 feet above the valley floor in it. That same layer of sandstone is 25,000 feet below Jackson hole. <laughs> so that means so that much. Teton fault is 30,000 feet of displacement. It's huge. 30,000 feet. I mean, it's like yeah. five, six miles of movement along this fault uh, in the last about 15 million years or something. Yep. That's a yep. serious, serious fault. It is. So this process, this is still going on. They're still uplifting, but the Tetons still don't look like they look today. Okay, we have not gotten to what makes them so carved and so cut up and so jagged and beautiful. And much of that has to do with the Ice Age. That's right. So, I mean, the ruggedness of the ruggedness of these mountain ranges is really it's really kind of a glacial feature, right? I mean, these things are produced by ice action on rock. Okay, so yeah, Jesse, let's talk a little bit about some of these glacial features that just dominate the landscape in, in the Tetons. Some famous places in the park, like Lake Solitude. You know, you hike up to you hike up Cascade Canyon. Well, first of all, you're hiking up this massive U-shaped valley. And a yeah, that's a very valley. it's a very uh, self-explanatory kind of <laughs> kind of term, right? <laughs> it mean, looks like a big feed trough, you know, and yeah. rivers don't carve valleys like this. So when glaciers go down a valley, they tend to widen it and straighten it out. And you end up with this very distinctive U-shaped valley. So you hike up this, just this incredible U-shaped valley up to Lake Solitude. And you're standing in this amphitheater then when you get to the lake. And, you know, you look around and it's, it's almost like a like an ice cream scoop right out of the mountainside. It's literally just the, to <laughs> That's me, right. I look it's at it. It's a great description. <laughs> this would be like the, one of the best concert venues on the planet. You know, the acoustics <laughs> have got to be phenomenal in this. It's just, anyway, you have this amphitheater, this bowl shaped depression up there. Um, then that's called a cirque. And the, and, the, and the cirque is formed because you're sort of building up ice and snow on the sides and on the steep sides, and they're all kind of tumbling down towards the center, right? And then they kind of gather in the center and form a bigger glacier. So you kind of get yeah. this like scouring out a round feature there. Um, right? and, and at the base of a cirque, you often get this glacial lake that's called a tarn. That's T-A-R-N. You know, Lake Solitude is a, is a cool one. Um, Amphitheater Lake. That's where I, I, that's where you and I walked down and you put together the geology of the Tetons as a 17 year old little nerd. Um, <laughs> you know, like the same thing though. It's just an incredible cirque up there with this, with this gorgeous glacial lake there. 
um, with, you know, in the Grand Teton playing backup. It's just, uh, it's yeah. incredible. Uh, um, amazing. I'm yeah, it, it really st- is. There's so many of these, these, uh, these features and so on that are, I think, pretty like accessible. Another yeah. U-shaped valley is Death Canyon. You know, you don't have to be a professional rock climber or a, a massive backpacker to to enjoy the beauty of these things. You can uh, you can just be somebody that w- would prefer to sit out on a porch and drink a beer and gaze at these mountains. I mean, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, like, you don't have to be you don't have to be Chris Bliss's family three month three weeks of backpacking. You know, in July, no, you can drive up from your car and go on like a, a, an hour long little jaunt through the forest, and you can see some stunning geoscience yeah. stuff. I mean, really, well, really yeah. stunning stuff. I mean, I, and I want to be really clear on this. Actually, one of my favorite things to do is grab a camp chair and find a lake and uh, with a cooler full of full of uh, nice little beverages and, and just <laughs> do nothing all day long but stare at these mountains and right. watch people walk by. And it's, Oh, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, so, I mean, it, yeah. you can sit there and just ponder for hours yep. and hours and hours, That's especially right. if you got a beer in your hand. Yeah, so that I guess that's a wrap with, with the Grand Teton National Park. And, and you know, in summary get out there check it out you know if you're if you haven't been there before go check it out if you have been there before go to some of the places that we've talked about that you maybe haven't been i know there's a whole list of things that i want to go and i'm going to drag chris bullheis along to, take, to <laughs> give me on a tour of some of the hiking and climbing in grand Teton national park and hopefully i'm going to get some you know get some students and start doing some research on these nices because they're, they're right. pretty cool yeah i just want to say one of the things that i hope you got out of this podcast is that the next time you're there or the first time you're there because you've learned a little bit more about how they formed and how they came to be and that you're, you, you will appreciate them more. You know, we can't think about words we don't know. And so the more we know, the more we're able to think about and contemplate and totally it's another lens to put on so when you're walking around the tetons and you're driving past them put on your planet geo lens and look at them through this planet geo lens where you know these are awesome they tell us a story they're stunning they're beautiful and with that if you're out there out in the tetons and you have questions hit us up we're at planetgeocast at gmail.com and all of our social medias on facebook instagram and twitter are at planetgeocast yeah keep the feedback coming 